you always wonder how God's providence works. At least I do. I often see his hand in life. I see in hindsight when God has worked in and through our lives. I don't know how that happens, but I see it in this morning is, is no exception. Uh, this morning we, as was announced twice, received news about Miss Paulette and her situation. And it's amazing because on one hand, you have scripture that tells us we're all going to die. Unless the Lord returns, that is our fate and it is expected. And so we have that. We have teachings of, of many scriptures that tell us how blessed we are for being in the Lord, that we can hope for the resurrection. And we can look at, at death as this stepping stone, a transition, a threshold that we pass through unto everlasting life. And yet it does not take away from the pain. And for some of us that have known Miss Paulette for decades, the pain is, in some cases, unbearable, seemingly. And so it's, it's an amazing paradox that we have, that we can know these truths, that we can, in one sense, be comforted, at, at the same time, be so absolutely in pain. So this morning's sermon was not, I had no idea what this was going to be about, but I know we had a Bible study last week in our book, in our study in Ecclesiastes. And as a result, I wanted to, to really, it dominated my mind, actually. Some of the things that was said by Dina in Bible class and some of the others. And this is the result of that. And then when life continued its course during the course of this week, I couldn't help but realize just the providence of God again working. And so we have this, when life hurts, what do we deal with? In fact, um, because of our study last week and even a conversation I had with Ben in the, a few minutes ago, it would be great to have a study that deals with moments like this, when we have moments of pain and regret, and they come in all fashions, right? I mean, we're talking about moments in our life when we just realize life just is hard. It's not always easy. There are moments in which... As children wonder, when are we going to be able to grow up? Because life is hard. I have to listen to mom and dad. I have to go to school. I have to do work called schoolwork, homework. Um, I have got friends that are no longer my friends. And just, life is hard for children. As parents, we think, you think it's hard now. It gets more difficult. I mean, that's what we tell our children from time to time. It, it, this is like a, a trial. And then when we go through life, as we get teenage years, and for some young, you go through relationships, and, and you have heartbreak and, and what have you. And then when you get married, there is heartbreak there in the form of divorce or broken relationships. We say things we regret. So in other words, we go through all these things, and, and every one of us has experienced the difficulty of life at some point. There are things that we regret because of mistakes that we have made. We wish we could take them back, and we can't, and they may haunt us. There are moments in which we don't even make mistakes. It's just bad things happen against us, just evil, wicked people in the world doing evil and wicked things that affect us, might affect our jobs, but especially our relationships. Sometimes it's simply life like we're experiencing right now with the Coleman family. So there are burdens, 
There are pains that seem unbearable, and so we know that life is hard. I mean, that's in the midst of life is good. That's in the midst of great memories that we have these moments. What's even harder than just life is the fact that, well, we go through, well, let me go back over here. We go through the living part of the pain. And I cannot but mention, you know, with the psalm of what it was like to be King David. Now, we can talk about his sinful ways. And I think someone was, was mentioning uh, of certain individuals in our Bible study that, you know, they were, they were so wicked. I, I don't see David as a wicked person. Yes, he's wicked in that he sinned. And yes, we are wicked that we sin. And there's none of us that are good from that vantage point. Here's a passage of scripture in the Bible that says, here's a man after my own heart that did wicked things. I believe that, that when David was going through this, it was in light of his adulterous affair, in light of his putting Uriah to death and that the weight of his decisions, of his sinful decisions, took its toll on him. And so when we read this psalm, it's easy to see how it could take this, this toll on David. Look at again his words. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Anyone ever relate? I can. When you harbor pain, it doesn't go away. It stays there. It festers, and maybe at times the pain gets more dull, and then something happens in life, and that pain becomes very sharp once again. It comes to the forefront, and all of a sudden, that pain gets very real. He says, through my groaning all the day long. That's what it was like when I kept silent about it. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turning to the drought of summer. An amazing image of how painful the suffering of pain can be. It's no wonder you have passages like James chapter 5, which we will look at in a little bit, that talks about how you deal with this from that vantage point. It'd be a great study for us. I know two years ago we were actually dealing with things like this. When we were dealing with depression, we were dealing with anxiety. We were dealing with uh, broken relationships. And so based upon discussion from our Bible study last Sunday, and even a, a suggestion Ben made earlier uh, just a few minutes ago, saying, you know, it would be great for us to have these kinds of moments when we deal with broken relationships because this is what happens when there's pain. And I, I can distinctly remember over 25 years ago, my first um, experiences of, of preaching. It was in 1991 maybe in 90, 91 or 92, and I remember um, two sisters in Christ who had for years had a broken relationship, years. And for whatever took place that Sunday morning, they both came forward before the congregation and they wanted to make amends with each other. It was beautiful to see. But leading up unto that, the pain that they experienced, it's hard. And so having life is painful enough, but living through that pain, it's even more difficult. 
And we get to see this one illustration uh, given by King David as a result. So the question is, how do we deal with it? Naturally, what we want to do is we want to deal with it from our fleshly vantage point. And typically, when you're in pain, what do you do? You go and be off by yourself. Isn't that what some of us do? In fact, I would say more than some of us. There's a time in which maybe that is good and healthy to be off on our own, right? Because we want to process and what, I mean, however that takes place, we want to, to go through that hurt in however way that we can. And, and oftentimes it is on our own. Sometimes it is to lash out, right? Something causes us pain, whether it's the death of a loved one, whether it's someone who has done us wrong, whether we feel such uh, regret over our own decisions and we lash out in some way or another, maybe in the form of a complaint. I mean, that ultimately is what happened with Job. And you see, if we, as we get into our study in the book of Job, we will see him lashing out. It may not be in a, in a physical manner, but it definitely continued as he was going through his suffering. And so we get to see complaints the ultimate thing that I see in, in many that go through pain in a variety of ways is eventually it's going to come out, but while it's staying silent, it's, it's an amazing type experience. I'm not the kind of person overall, I have my moments, but I'm not the kind of person overall that likes to keep it within myself. I usually let it out somehow, some way, um, maybe through anger and what have you, but I know of one person that I, I got to know when I was a younger person. He held it in. Whenever kinda, whatever pain he was in, he always held it in. And then when the thing had blown over, whatever the incident was, it was still festering with him. Everyone's moving on in life, and all of a sudden, an atomic bomb of explosion through emotions. That's what it was like with this relationship that I had with this person. I come to find out decades later that this person I had a relationship with had PTSD. It's amazing when you have context. All of a sudden, you're thinking, why does this person hold everything in? Is a Vietnam vet. That's how he dealt with life. And so, you know, you, you get these ways that are natural for us to deal with pain because it's hard dealing with it. There may be shame. There may be guilt. A number of reasons why, but for all that, we, we keep silent about it or we complain to others about it, but never really deal with it so that we are not able to move forward. I mentioned to you in James chapter 5. I want you to open your Bibles to James chapter 5 because there are a number of uh, verses in this passage, and it's not limited to the two that we're going to be look at because we could look at even more in James 5. But I want you to see that there are scriptures that tell us how to deal with moments like this. And here's the thing. You know, we can read scripture and people would say, yeah, but I don't know how to do that. And I don't know, and when the question was asked last week, how do you deal with these kinds of moments? And I said, I don't know. That's where the rubber meets the road. I said, other than to say do it, I don't know what to say. You know, and here's the passage that are basically saying, do this. So in, in James chapter 5, it says here in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? If you have pain, if you're suffering, 
pray. And what I often hear from those that are in the midst of suffering is, I don't know if it'll do any good. But you have a person who is divinely inspired to teach what we can do when we are in pain. We know it when we're not in the situation. When we're apart from a painful situation, we can give easy advice to saying, what you need to do is just go ahead and pray. I'll pray with you. That's kind of jumping the gun a little bit. But go ahead and pray. He goes on telling us here in um, the following verse, is anyone sick? If you're suffering in the form of, of this idea of sickness, and, and by the way, this idea of sickness here, it's not necessarily, in my mind, physical sickness. I think there's metaphors involved in this. He said, if any one of you is suffering, pray. If anyone is sick, call upon the elders. Let them pray over you. There's something to be said for what we're talking about here. Number one, you pray to God. Number two, let others pray to God on your behalf. Do you see something here about what is anointing oil, what is salve, if you will, what is medicine? Relationships. It's right here. Pray to God. That's a relationship with God. Pray to him. Let others pray to God on your behalf. That's what relationships. And so when we're talking about how we deal with pain, the easy answer, the biblical easy answer is you need relationships. Instead of spending time alone, it has to be with others. And it may not be like right now because I'm in the midst of this pain, but at some point, if you want that salve, you have to spend it with others. And it's amazing how time and relationships may not solve the pain it's in and of itself, but it can ease it. It can be like medicine. And so when, we, when we're dealing with all this, we have to realize it's, it's not meant for man to be alone. It's not meant for him to be alone. And I mentioned to you uh, an individual recently who I'd been spending some time with from, a, from that very standpoint, he felt all alone. And you know, when you feel all alone, it doesn't mean that you um, are recluse. You can be in a room with what, what do we have here, 175 or give or take, and still feel all alone. And it would not surprise me, brethren, right now as I'm giving this lesson, someone's in pain in the midst in our room and all by themselves. In the midst of many, many people, all by themselves. I can't imagine what you're going through. Putting a smile so that everyone thinks that you're doing well while you're hurting. And you might even send some signals in small, small, small ways that many will never pick up on. Giving us those signals that you are hurting and you're, you're calling out for help in a whisper. But a lot of us in our lives, we're so into our own pain and our own lives or whatever is going on that way that we may not even be aware of what you're struggling with. And so we have multiple people, as I would guess, 
in every congregation, let alone people in the world, who are struggling in this kind of way, but yet we don't know it. And so we need to spend time with, with others. Well, here's the thing. I want us to, to spend a little bit of time. I mean, we're, the lesson is very short this morning, but I want us to, to realize this, and I'm, I'm setting it up for a reason. If we acknowledge, as I often do in Bible studies and in, in the sermons, if we are able to acknowledge that the Lord's church, yes, it's made up of saved individuals, but it is made up of broken individuals who are saved. If we can acknowledge our own sins, and if we can even verbalize our own sins, it's easier to deal with our own sins. When you cannot verbalize them, when you cannot discuss them, when you cannot do as what James was saying, pr pray because you're suffering, or call for elders, or he says um, in verse 18, and I think it was verse 19, you know, confess your sins to one another, then you're going to continue in this pain. I honestly believe that the whole emphasis of the Lord's body is that we have broken people who can come and look at each other going, oh, you're broken too? But what I see often in the body of Christ is unbroken people. Now, mentally, I know we're all broken. I know it. But when we have this, well, this mask, and I, I think about two years ago, I preached upon this mask that we sometimes put on that it doesn't look like, everything looks like it's just wonderful, right? It's like a Pinterest account. Everything looks great. And then you get behind that, that Pinterest account, behind the profile, behind all what you have, and then you see a person still struggling through life. So if we can acknowledge that the church is made up of broken people and we all have a variety of pains that we go through, and maybe right now it may be a good time in your life. And it may be a good time in your family's life. And it may seem to be a good time in, in every sphere that you are having within your bubble. But realize this, that's not that way for everyone else. Right now, you may be going through a very difficult time. I mean, my word, Jimmy's not, he's only partially going off the bulletin. The bulletin has its own number of things that we need prayers for because of whatever anxiety is, is coming about in our family's lives. Illnesses that we are fraught with in so many people's lives right now. Just the simple illnesses that, that make it hard. Let alone some of the heavy hitting things that we are having to deal with right now. We've got these a variety of pains. Sometimes I wonder, you know, like when, when I hear from our announcements, so-and-so is in the hospital, they want to be left alone. Well, we need to leave them alone. But if they continue to be left alone, it becomes a struggle. And not everyone wants to be visited until you visit them. Does that make sense? I don't want any visitors. And someone bold enough dishonors my wish, comes and visits me when I said very explicitly, I do not want visitors. And I'm so grateful they came. 
It's because we are not meant to be alone. I don't know when you cross that line. Honestly, I don't know. And I've crossed the line a number of times. Like, don't come and visit. And I've come and visit. And then someone say, but you're the preacher. It's okay. You can come. <laughs> I've heard that. I cannot tell you. I've, I can't count how many times I've heard, it's okay if you came. But you know what? You could have received that same joyful experience when someone else who's not the quote-unquote preacher came, would come. And I get it. I'm so aware that not every one of us are meant to open our mouths and be world-class encouragers. Some of us, we, we are able to stick that foot right in our mouth as surely as we enter the room. Not every one of us are that way. We know that we have different talents, different gifts God has given to us. But the reality is still the same. Sometimes just having someone there, putting their arm on you, giving you a kiss on the cheek, on the forehead, being able to give you a hug, simply being in your presence, it's like medicine. And so you know those phone calls, those letters and those meals, they mean so much. But spending time, it means even more. First Thessalonians chapter 5, this is what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. I want you to read this passage and read it from this vantage point of pain. All right? So here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. But here's what I want you to do, aside from those unruly brethren. I want you to comfort the faint-hearted. And if we were to practice that and to do even better than I think what we're already doing now, I mean, there's always room for growth, right? If we could comfort the faint-hearted, that means we're going to have to get out of our selfish, self-centered mode and do the uncomfortable thing and make the phone call. Make the drive. Make the walk. Write the letter. And I, as I say this to you right now from a public preaching vantage point, there are so many of you that are so much better than, than I when it comes to encouraging others. That you guys make the phone call, you write the letters, you go and you do the visits. And I'm grateful for examples like you in my life because I'm not the best example. I'm far from it, I feel like. But that's what he's saying to do. Comfort the faint-hearted. He says, uphold the weak. Do you actually see this picture? This is a picture of justice. So someone is in pain and they're knocked down by way of life and you are there and you're picking them up. That's, that's a picture not just of love, but of justice where we all share. Isn't that, isn't that what was told by us by, by Ted this morning, this concept of koinonia, sharing? It's not just Lord's Supper talk. Or we gather around the table and we're sharing in this communion. We're sharing in each other's lives. And when someone is down, we lift them up. That's the picture of upholding the weak. And it comes through a variety of forms that we label love. So we comfort the faint-hearted, we uphold the weak, and, and then we're told to be patient with all. I know I'm jumping the gun with our study in the book of Job. I, I cannot wait for our study in the book of Job. We're, by the way, we're not going to go through every chapter in Job. 
Um, it's, in my mind, a bit redundant for about 35 chapters. Um, that said, Job had friends, and I believe they meant to be very, very good friends. And I'm not sure about you, but seven days of being completely silent as you spend side by side with someone who is in suffering, you know, someone who's in pain, that's a long time to remain quiet, especially in our modern American fast food, everything has got to be instantaneous. Oh, you've been quiet for five minutes, now it's time to open your mouth. We need to be patient. When we have brethren who are suffering, sometimes we are the world's worst in the name of righteousness. When we need to be patient, let them go through that suffering moment. It's a season for some. For some, it's a long season. But we can still sit by their side. There are choices that I've known Christians to have made, and some of them that are absolute heinous and wicked sin. I have them in my head right now. Wicked sin. That in the past, I would have been very quick, because in the name of righteousness, to deal with sin. I can tell you right now, without getting into any details, I am patient with some of these brethren that I'm thinking of because I know what they've gone through. And I believe as the Lord is patient with Mitch Davis, Mitch Davis needs to be patient with so-and-so. And I'm not sharing it just so for me to confess what I need to be doing. I'm telling you, you need to do the same, to be patient with each other. When someone's in pain and has been in pain, and you know of their pain, all the more reason why you should be understanding. And so I shared this morning, you know, these burdens that we have, we can deal with these burdens. But it takes a whole lot of effort to help us sharing each other's burdens. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, we're told, right, the, fulfill the law of Christ, sharing each other's burdens, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. That's what we ought to be doing. If you're in the position to share that burden with someone, ensure their confidence. I gave you a very real, very, very, um, well, not public, but just a real illustration of what went on a few days ago. You don't know who I'm talking about. If any of you know who I'm talking about, come talk to me. Let me know you know who I'm talking about. And I'm going to tell you, then don't say anything else. But I, I virtually believe there's about 99% of you don't know what I'm talking about. But there are people that are experiencing a lot of pain. And I want you to know, here's some real situations going on right now. But ensure their confidence. That you can be a confidant. That you will not use it as gossip. You will not use it to, to uh, I don't know, seem like you are... A know-it-all and how to comfort. Be a good ear. Be a genuine listener. Be someone that you can have your shoulder leaned upon. And brethren, if you feel like you know of Christians this way or someone close to you, a friend of yours that you can open up to, it will do you well if you can trust them. Brethren, I hope that this sermon actually leads for some of you to want to open up publicly. And if that means some of you come forward and are able to say, I am struggling right now. We can cry with you this morning. 
we can share the heavy burden that you have that no one knows about. But I pray, brethren, our, our extension of love does not come in just shaking our heads up and down and just a note, but we need to really get into each other's lives if we're going to have the kind of fellowship that we can open up this way. It's a very vulnerable situation, but it can be done. And over time, I pray as we continue to grow, that will be the case. So the invitation is for, for anyone. If you're hurting in any way, that come forward. We'll pray with you. And if you want it to be more private, we've got the Courtyard app. We've got directories. Or if you don't have a physical directory, we can get you one. Make a phone call. Write a letter. Send an email. Do the Facebook messaging. Whatever you need to do, but get someone that you can open up to. And if you have been doing it, God bless you for doing it. You may also be here. And you may be like that prodigal son in sin. And you may want the forgiveness of your sins. It may come by the form of repentance. It may come in the form of repenting by turning to the Lord to begin with. Remember the invitation from Jesus? He said, all of you who are heavy laden, who are burdened, come. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's light and it's easy. That's what Jesus is saying. I will bear your burdens with you. So you may be here, you may want to have those burdens lifted. You come by dying to that old man of sin. And he will save you as the great physician that you may walk in newness of life. If you're subject in, the, in either of those two ways, why don't you do so as together we stand and sing the song of invitation. I have